I, I just have to start by saying, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine going through these days and these times and not being a part of a body and a community like this. I can't imagine going through what the world's going through and all of us with them without Christ, right? For a moment, in this time, they need our compassion. They need our understanding and they, they do need our grace and love and our witness and our serving. Is that right? I'm grateful for this community. I'm grateful for the grace of Christ upon my life. And yet I, I know the church is needed. Kingdom. Scripture we'll look at later. Now, today is the day of salvation of our God, of our Lord. We're going to look at that scripture a little later. This morning we're, we're here and gathered together. I want to welcome those of you who may be watching on uh, Facebook Live and joining us. Uh, there was well attended uh, during uh, first service and uh, imagine the same. And uh, maybe perhaps more of us will be joining all of you online. So thanks for, for joining us and welcome to you. I want to begin this morning. We're still in this series on the Word of God. And this morning we're looking at the effects of of God's Word upon our life and, and what's needed for the full effect of God's Word on our life. Let me begin with a story this morning, a story that I recently heard just a few months ago, actually. It's not a new story. The story is actually 60 years old, and I'd never heard it before. I'd never heard this lady's name or her story. and It's actually about a lady who's going to pull up here on the screen who's turning approximately 70 years old this year, and you'll understand why I say approximately. Uh, her name is uh, Marina Chapman, and uh, her and her husband and family live in Bradford, England. It's a story that she retells herself. It's a story that she and her daughter have written a book about, and they retell because she believes it's worth retelling. It's a story in question. It's a story that medical doctors and scientists and counselors and psychologists look at and scrutinize and wonder, could this really have happened? Is this really feasible, believable, plausible? Could this little girl go through such a thing and survive such a thing? I want to give you a heads up. It's, it's a tragic story. It's a story with too many details and too graphic for me to be able to share all of here. Not that you need all of it, but I do want to share parts of Marina's story. And she and her daughter have written a book. The book's called The Girl with No Name. And it's about this young Colombian girl, four years old. She doesn't remember much of her early childhood. She's forgotten who her family was or what they looked like, but she remembers a day that began her life as we know it and as she can tell it. She remembers a day wearing a beautiful dress, playing in her backyard in Colombia, wearing a beautiful dress, and she remembers a smelly, sweaty, and hairy arm coming around the front of her and covering her face. She remembers being drugged out of her own backyard and away from her family, who she's never seen since. She remembers 
a bag being placed over her head and her hands being tied behind her back. And she remembers being put into a vehicle of some sort and traveling a long, long distance away. Later that same day, she remembers being pulled out and dragged from that van. And she remembers that man abusing her in the most horrific ways, much to our heartache and our hurt, something that a little girl should never experience. She remembers those things. She remembers that vehicle pulling away and being left somewhere with her hands still tied behind her back and that bag still over her head. Somehow she freed her hands and untied herself and somehow she, she remembers getting the bag off of her head and discovering her surroundings and where she was. Some big jungle somewhere, left abandoned in the middle of a jungle. She remembers her dress wasn't beautiful anymore. It was ripped and torn and ragged and dirty, both from what she had walked through and what she had gone through that day. She remembers darkness approaching and just really hoping she didn't have to go through the night. She remembered hoping for a rescuer. She remembered just continuing to think and believe someone's going to find her. Someone's got to know. Someone's going to rescue her. She remembers the sounds and the feelings and the fear of that first night being alone in the jungle and the next day really hoped that she wouldn't have to endure another night. But as fearful as she was of the first night, she was even more fearful of the second night that did come. That first day had turned into a second day and the second day would turn into a third day. And before long, the third day turned into a week and the week into weeks. And they question, really? Could this have really happened? And weeks turned into months. And months did turn into years of this little girl in the jungle. And as I said, people question her story and question the validity and they don't doubt that this four-year-old little girl definitely went through tragedy and something horrific. And as they analyze her bones and her teeth and they go, yeah, definitely during this time period as a child she went through malnutrition. And there's evidence scientifically, but just question, could that have really happened? Maria remembers, Marina remembers on that third day, being tired and hungry and sleeping some during the day, but she remembers she hadn't really moved. She was too afraid to go anywhere. She just kept hoping for someone to come rescue her. But she remembers on that third day, a group of monkeys approached her. And it was great to hear sounds and see something living. And however, these monkeys, as they approached her, they started to gather around and be inquisitive and looking and then daring to approach her. And they'd quickly approach her very fast, very ferocious, and quickly get really, really close and then run away and sit down and observe again. 
She remembers that happening on the third day. And these monkeys that she encountered, she ended up becoming a part of. Literally in a monkey see, monkey do sort of way. A four-year-old child. She remembers learning and watching and observing them and how they drank. And when the rains would come and they'd fill the big jungle leaves with water, she too would go follow their lead and go drink from the leaves and gather water. And even when necessary, from the puddles from the ground, down on her hands and knees like the monkeys would. And she ended up quickly learning they too had different sounds. She knows and remembers at the time, even coming out from all this, that she had totally lost any of her previous language that she had before. She had lost it and couldn't remember how to speak, but she adapted. She ended up learning the sounds of the monkeys and the sort of chatter and the different teeth clickings and sounds and cheek movements and uh, vibrations would, and the difference of them for even when they would discover and find food or when they'd be picking up and moving to a different area or when there'd be an approaching threat or visitor, they'd make certain sounds and she learned how to make sounds similar to it and it became her language. It's a remarkable story. It's fascinating. It's crazy. Listening to it a few months ago, I was just like, what? I've never heard this. I've never heard this lady's story. The The little girl with no name. One day, Marina, after having learned just like the monkeys to how to climb and how to get up into the canopies of the trees, uh, I was going to back up and just say that she even learned how to eat and she learned that those monkeys, when they would gather bananas and berries and other fruits, she'd observe their competitive nature and they would climb and come to rest somewhere and uh, be fighting over food and bickering and in that process somehow they would incidentally drop food and bananas and berries and she first began by eating underneath of them and then the compassion of the monkeys as her condition worsened they too shared and they would bring her food until after all this time she had just become almost like one of them living with them fleeing with them sleeping with them she still remembers one of the most endearing experiences of her life was the first time one of the monkeys came and sat in her lap and peed on her leg. But how comforting that felt to be accepted and to be a part. She doesn't remember her previous childhood. She remembers almost, if you will, life starting that way. One day she is up in the canopy and she's with the monkeys and She's hanging out up in a tree and she sees something down below and it's something that's different. It's something that's shiny. Something that doesn't go with the floor of the jungle. Something she hadn't seen before. And In similar fashion to the monkeys, she scampers down the tree and across the jungle floor and cautiously, almost like those monkeys approached her for the first time, she scampers over to the item and she grabs it really quickly and almost just like a monkey, she bites it. And she chucks it and throws it away and runs and, and sees what would happen. She scampers back up the tree to the canopy and she looks at it. And to her, it's almost like it moved somehow. That object moved. And she too was very, very curious. And so she came back down. She couldn't leave sight 
of it, let it out of her sight, and she climbed back down the tree, and she approached it a second time, and she grabbed it and turns towards her, and it had eyes. And she again threw it down and took off because it, it had eyes. But it, curiosity got the best of her again, and she approached it, and she grabbed it, and she took a look at it, and as it was pointed and directed towards her face, she, she started to see something. And that object didn't have eyes. Eyes appeared in it. And in that moment, she remembers turning it towards her face and realizing some things about herself. She realized she wasn't like them. There was a difference about her she had forgotten about. And she had somehow lost. She realized that she was different from them. That object had a face in it that looked different than theirs. And as she observed herself in a mirror that some hiker or hunter had dropped on the trail in the area that they were now in, she remembered discovering she was different. As much as as comforting as it had been to be with and to belong to something and to have others care for her, she now realized and began to think there must be something more. I'm not one of them. I'm different than them. I look different. Because of a mere moment, because of looking into a mirror, she saw a difference and recognized a difference that she had forgotten. Marina tells and talks about her story in that book. And Marina's not her name. She's actually, it's her name that she's gone by for years. It's a name that she came by. Like about four other names that she had throughout the years. One day Marina did see from the canopy some others like her on a trail, and they end up being hunters. And she so longed to be with people like her that she got the courage one day to leave the canopy and to leave the monkeys and to approach those men. For Marina, things didn't immediately get easier. In some ways, they got worse, and it's part of her story. But a number of years later, she was rescued again wanting and longing for a rescuer. And a family did rescue her and brought her out of the horrible conditions in life she was now subjected to. And they cared for her. They saw a little girl who they believed Christ had given his life for and they wanted to love her and protect her and care for her. They did so much so that even their own family in the hardships of Colombia and the time that was happening there they helped her immigrate with part of their family and they moved to England and Marina became a nanny for this family and helped care for the kids and they helped finish raising Marina. And to this day, Marina would say she still has a tough time fitting in with all of this. She still has her monkey tendencies. She saw and she did what they did and she raised her grandchildren and she would share monkey sounds and the clicking and the different uh, teeth chattering, the different sounds that they would make regarding food and protection and movement, 
even before the grandkids would even know her story. She did similar, and her husband, in a documentary done by National Geographic, even recalled he would hear all of the monkey stories from his wife, even after they were married, but he didn't really know all of her story. He had assumed that she had gathered all these monkey experiences with monkeys in the wilderness close to the village that she must have been brought up in. Marina was afraid to share her story and to tell people for the very reason that people would question, they would doubt, and they'd only bring more and more questions and doubt. But she doesn't stop telling her story today. Today, she'll say one of the activities she enjoys the most is still climbing to the top of the canopy, still climbing trees. Look at that lady. Does she not look fun or what? She still loves to race her grandchildren up the tree and to spend time in the trees and the canopy. But she talks about those moments and that mirror and discovering and believing there's something more to her life. There's got to be something more. Where do I come from? What's my purpose? There's got to be something more. Today, she still lives in Bradford, England, and this is her family. Her and her husband raised two amazing daughters. One daughter who said, Mom, we've got to tell your story. We've got to tell more people about your story. Let's write a book together. People will doubt, but we can handle it. We can handle the criticism. And so they wrote that book together, and they speak together and, and share their mother's story and embrace her mirror moment. When I think of my own life, I think of moments that I felt like there must be more. Mirror moments, likewise. I remember growing up in the trailer house that I grew up in and walking into the bathroom where the big mirror was in the bathroom. And <clears throat> as a little, little kid, I remember crawling on top of those plastic cabinet doors and crawling up onto that plastic counter just to look into the mirror. And I, at one point, I, I started realizing that maybe one day I wouldn't have to do that. I can start to see myself. If I get them on my tippy toes, parts of me reach the bottom of that mirror. and I'm not going to have to clear the counter to crawl up on top of there to see into the mirror. I'm going to be able to see in the mirror. I remember moments like being in middle school and looking in the mirror one day and just asking God and questioning God, why do, I, why do I feel like I'm so different from everybody else? Why do I feel like I'm so different from even some of my closest friends? Why do I just feel so different? But feeling like there's got to be more. I remember moments of looking in the mirror and realizing there's something fuzzy growing on my lip because there's something more. I remember looking into the mirror some weeks after a horrible rodeo accident and looking into the mirror and realizing I think I tore my whole pectoral muscle off of my shoulder. I'm going to have to do something about that because there's something more. I remember standing in the front of the mirror, my wife nearby, and looking deep into the mirror at myself and saying, 
I'm about to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. There's something more. Right? We've all had mirror moments. It doesn't have to be like Marina's. But there's moments that you look in the mirror and you have a deep feeling and a sense and a revelation inside of you. There's, there's more. Mirrors can show us a lot of things. If you're listening online or watching us online or you're sitting here today, I want to tell you without exception, there's more for your life. As comfortable as you are, as familiar as life is right now and as unfamiliar as it's becoming for all of us, God has a plan and he has a purpose. And God has more for every single one of us. One of us. There's more. James talks about there being more and he compares the word of God to a mirror. In James chapter 1, you can turn with me there if you have it, but in front of you is James chapter 1 verse 21. James is saying all this and I think I know that he knows there's more as well. And he's saying, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James is talking about what we're talking about today, about the word of God having a full effect upon our lives. And he's saying there's three things necessary. He's saying get rid of. First, get rid of some things. Get rid of the evil around you and in you that's so prevalent. Get rid of moral filth. And to humbly accept God's word. Believing it and choosing it. Hearing it. Believing it even when it's contrary to what we already believe or what we've already experienced. Humbly, with meekness, another version says, accepting and believing God's word. But he says it's not enough you got to do something. We have to be doers. Thirdly, we have to be doers. We have to be people who immediately apply God's word to our life. There has to be change. There has to be action. There has to be happening. He's encouraging us to be people who immediately apply in practical ways in our daily lives, like right now. Like JR is encouraging and exhorting us. What does love look like right now for this community, for this body of believers? We're wrestling with that this week as elders and staff and encourage you to do it with us. God's created you to be a part of this church and a part of the greater church for today, for this season, for this now. For the word of God to have full effect on our life. And James says, if not, if we're not like that, We're deceiving our own selves, right? We're the ones deceived. It's easy for us to have an eye towards others and see the deception in others, but James is trying to point our eyes back to ourselves and say, listen, if you're looking in the mirror, right? That's what he's saying in verse 23. Let's take a look. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away And immediately forgets what he looks like. That mirror is God's word. It's the word of God. But whoever looks intently in verse 25. 
into the perfect law that gives freedom. That too is God's word. That's that mirror. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. God's word's a mirror into the soul. I apologize to my wife. (laughs) A mirror in a natural sense, revealing our natural face, reveals things like pimples, right? And so does God's word. It reveals the inner pimples of our heart and of our soul. It points out the things that God wants to help and he wants to take care of. He doesn't want to leave them the same. He wants to sanitize. He wants to clean. He wants to groom. He wants to better. Help us put forth the best version of ourselves. God's word reveals things that we cannot know any other way. Do you believe that? God's word is a mirror so deep, so pure, so true. It reveals things that I cannot know any other way, including and most importantly about my own self. That my wife can't reveal, that my kids can't reveal, my church leaders. God's word reveals And likewise, James is trying to encourage us, just like we're people who see imperfections or we see something, a problem, something we want to deal with on our own face. He's saying, be the same way about your inner face, about your inner soul, man. Do something. Don't leave it alone. Don't forget that it's there. When something's out of place, we've got to do something. I'm reminded of a phrase, maybe you've heard it before, but it, it does speak to the power of God's word and the Bible. Someone once said that when you read your Bible, you need to remember your Bible is also reading you. That speaks to the depth and the power that's beyond just a book, just a record of good sayings or history. It's speaking to how well that book knows you and I, how deep it knows you and I, because it's alive. And it's active, right? In Hebrews 4.12, it says, the word of God is alive and it's active. It's pursuant. It's sharper than, the, than a double-edged sword. Not just in a wounding way. Too many people open it up and they get a glimpse and they don't like the look that they see. And they close it up. They walk away from it and look in another direction. Something that looks better. Something that has a different look, a different profile. Oh, don't, don't take my picture from this side. Just, just, just straight on. I got too big of a nose. I do, right? But they get offended and they close it and they put it away and forget it and go looking in a different direction. But that's not the only look God's word gives. God's word's multidimensional. It's better than 3D. It's better than the most high-tech ultrasound. And it doesn't just show us what our old man looks like. It shows us what our new man is supposed to look like. And what God's creating, what he's building, what he's designing. What he wants to deal with because it's what he wants us to get onto and become. And that's the likeness of Christ. It's a faithful mirror. That faithful mirror of God's word 
reveals to us more than our sins and our failures. It reveals a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in verse 18, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. The new is here. It's revealing the newness in you and I, the new person, the new man, the new woman, if we'll gaze into it long enough. If we'll not be afraid of the first set of eyes that we see in it and chuck it. If we'll actually go back to it and pick it up and let our, even our own selves come into full view. And if we'll keep gazing, we'll see someone else in the mirror with us and his design and his intentions. All of this, it says, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. I hear God taking responsibility for it all. Jason, you have an old man. I'm going to take responsibility for it because I'm making it into a new creation. It's my process. I'm going to get credit for it all. Don't worry. Don't hang your head in shame. Don't turn away and run away from it. Deal with it. You and I, I've got the solution. Trust me. Walk with me. Keep looking in the mirror. Do it daily. Like you would in the natural mirror. Take a look in the morning. Primp yourself midday. Take a look in the evening. I've got good things. I've got a great picture. That mirror's changing. God takes full responsibility for the process. And he's the only one that can get the glory for it. In verse 21, just down below that, it says, God made him. God made Christ who had no sin to be sin for us. Thank you, God. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's big. That's big. What's the righteousness of God that we would become? That Christ gave his life for? What's that righteousness look like? It looks like blameless, being blameless, without blemish or without spot. It's a righteousness that's never known sin. Jesus' righteousness, in another version of the word, says is imputed to us, given over to us for our own benefit, just as if I'd never sinned. That's amazing. That will change your and I's look in the mirror. That'll change the way God sees you and I. But some of us need to look a little longer and take a little bit of a deeper gaze, a look further in the mirror and get beyond seeing our own perspective, our own view of our own faults, of our own blemishes. Some of us need to trust some of those things to God a little more to see what God sees in that mirror. He sees more in you. And his word, when it opens up, doesn't see just what you see. It sees a future bigger and brighter and beyond. It sees beyond the jungle walls. It sees beyond your childhood. It sees into your future and where God is taking you, where you belong, what he created you for. Some of us need to look intently into the mirror and to God's word a little longer and a little deeper. Some of us need to open it maybe for the first time. These Bibles are here. If you don't have one, you're certainly welcome 
to grab one. I have a friend in my own life who I plan on taking one to this afternoon. They had told me they'd, they've never had a Bible. I want, I want to help fix that. You can do that too. You need a mirror. We need a mirror, right? We cannot see ourselves. You cannot see your inner man. You cannot see into your soul on your own. And you certainly can't do anything about it. My wife, I'm so grateful for Rebecca in my life. And she's a sort of mirror in my life. And yet, she can't do everything to change me and make me something. But she trusts God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life to make me. And she believes to make me who God's made me to be. And she believes in God's word in my life. Gaze longer, would you please? Take a deeper look. JR's done a great job. We've been taking a number of weeks here to talk about God's word, to learn something about God's word. It's not, listen, I want to say it's not just about bringing something maybe new that you've never heard about God's word. It's not about that. It's not learning just about the history of it. We're doing all this and looking at God's word that you would engage with God's word. Can I tell you a little bit of something about this Sunday, about these Sunday gatherings? These Sundays are not just to be about us getting together. It's not a social club. It's not so you can meet and know more people and have more contacts. It's also so we would be able to gaze into the mirror and Look into God's word and be able to see ourselves. It's, but it too is insufficient. If Sunday morning is the only time you get to look into the mirror, the world is there telling you all sorts of other things the rest of the week, right? How discouraged can we send them into church the next Sunday? But God's word is here to build us up. It's, help us, it's there to help us see the way God sees things. To reflect something that's not just us, to reflect the work of Christ in our life. It's while we're looking into the mirror of God's word that the Spirit works in us, changing who we are. The Spirit works hand in hand in unity with God's word to bring us into the likeness of what the mirror is revealing and telling us is true. And is going to be. But without us looking into the mirror of God's word. There's a malnourishment. There's a limiting. Doesn't mean that God's spirit isn't active in us. But it's not partnering with the word that's activated in us. Unless we're in the word. Unless we're looking into the mirror. But with God. And us making good use of the mirror. And God's Spirit working out the effects of the Word in our lives, transforming grace matures us. Brings us to maturity, as the Word says. No matter how hard we try, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it out of our best of intentions, the best workshops, the best sermons. It's the Word of God. It's you and I opening the Word ourselves. People across the face of the earth used to be limited They'd have to hear it from someone else. They couldn't get it. You and I have more access to it than any other human that's ever walked the face of the earth. It's there. And God says he wants to partner with us. He wants to engage us. He wants to bring us in to full view through the mirror.
In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, it says this, as God partners, the New Living Translation says, God calls us his partners. He wants to partner with us. He doesn't want us doing it alone. He wants us to be in the word and opening and taking a look at the mirror and calls us partners. It says, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Don't ignore it. Let it ruminate in you. Let it produce action in you, an unction in you. Engage it and let God's spirit engage with unity for its perfect work in you. Don't ignore it. For God says at just the right time, I heard you. Thank you, God. You hear us. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Don't ignore it. I heard you and I helped you. Don't ignore my words. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Those are good words, yeah? God's word's loaded with it. I want to leave you with one more scripture. A favorite, a little nugget, a little mere moment. Truth that I'm holding on to. In Deuteronomy 4.29 it says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. I'm not sure where you're coming from today. I don't believe there's any of us in this room that have a story like Marina's. But wherever we're coming from, if from there you will seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul and you take deep gazes into that mirror, guess what? With God's spirit, you are going to understand the word. The word's going to take hold in you and it's going to produce a new image, a true image, and a likeness that is going to just become more and more and more like Christ. The more I'm in the Word and the more I engage God's Spirit and the more action that I take, I see more forgiveness in my own life. I see God's perfect work of justification over me and His righteousness take hold. And I'm reminded of the thickness of God's grace upon my life. And it's evident. My eyes can see it. But not if I'm not in it. Not if I'm not reminded by it. Not if it's not partnering with the Spirit. I too can end up seeing and not really see. I too can end up being able to hear but not really hearing. But with the Word of God that's alive and active and with the pursuance and the jealousy of the Holy Spirit, the power and the might of the Holy Spirit, it's a great concoction. It's a great formula, it's powerful, and it's mighty. In closing, I just want to encourage you, if, again, if, if you need a Bible, grab a Bible. If you haven't made a decision to include Christ in your life or invite him in your life, that word is true. Today is a day of salvation. For those of us who do believe in Christ and do believe in his truths and his principles over our life, we have to continue opening ourselves up to the reality and the truth. Not just today, not just because of coronavirus, because he says, I heard you and I helped you. Don't ignore it. Don't let it go. 
It's for real. It's for more real than coronavirus and any other threat or any other problem. He's saying, don't, don't ignore it. Embrace it. Would you pray with me? As we finish praying, the prayer team will be available over here as well. If you want to talk with anybody or ask for prayer or something that you're going through and at work or in your home or something in your own heart, if you're having a mere moment, please have the courage to come up and pray with someone, share with someone. They'd love for the opportunity to pray with you. Father, we come before you today and we're thankful for the mirror of your word. Thank you that it's multidimensional and it's sent for every person in this room. It's sent for Jason personally. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its power and its might and its strength and its leading and its comfort. We look to you to lead us this week, to guide us with your word and with your truth. There'll be so many words thrown at us, so many updates, but there's none more important than yours. Than the truth of your word that stood for all time and will continue to stand for all time. There's no better update than your word. So God, we give you permission this week. Activate your word in front of us. We want to open it and engage with you in Jesus' name. Amen.